Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shawnee Boone. This is episode 309. I am not joined today by my normal co-host, Stacy, who is still jet-setting around Italy, I believe. Uh, but he will be back at some point in life. I promise you that much. Uh, but I am joined by, I would say friend of the pod, owner of the pod, maybe. Um Enemy of the pod. Enemy of the pod, dictator of the pod, <laughs> uh, forcibly runs the Strickland. His name is Alex Wolf. You also may know him as the host of Lockdown Knicks. Alex, how are you doing? So am I like, am I like the Vladimir Putin and you're like the, the Wagner people or whatever? Is this, mm, is this our... I don't know, because like... Am, am I old and senile and... and uh... Well, it's like you had to call you like you have to you have to like ask me not to take over. Like, is that like yeah. don't don't do it? Like please don't <laughs> don't do it. Um, sure, I'll go with that. I'm fine with that. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that dude like literally that like military commander guy was just like I want to retire now. I bet I could get like a billion dollars from Vladimir Putin, <laughs> and then he just got it like under the table, and then it was like, all right, I'm set. That direct deposit. <laughs> that direct deposit hit. Uh, off to <laughs> off to, off to the islands somewhere. <laughs> I'll figure it out. <laughs> oh man! Uh, <laughs> all right, we're off to a great start here. Uh, before we officially conspiracy <laughs> theories, let's go. Before we officially get started, I do have to make a few announcements. The first being that the Strickland has a YouTube channel. Uh, actually, that's usually the second one, but I haven't done this in like five days, so I'm all rusty. The Strickland has an Instagram. Uh, follow that. That is at the Strickland on Instagram. We're posting all kinds of new content on there. The Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you may be watching this podcast. If you are and you haven't done so already, hit like and then subscribe to the channel. That would be a huge help to us. The Strickland also has merchandise. Alex is wearing some of it. Uh, you can purchase that on our website. It is there. And you can buy t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, water bottles, even coffee mugs. Uh, anything your heart desires. So check that out. That is on the website. And then finally, the Strickland has a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland's podcast that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland Mailbag, hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, a.k.a. The Doug Bag, alongside Dallas Miko. That comes out every other week. You also get access to the Strickland Discord where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to Stricken Roll, my solo pod, where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You also get access to wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier. There's a $30 tier. There's a $50 tier. And there's a $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits, like listening in on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day, whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. And finally, this none of this would be possible without Bet Online, which is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available available to play right from your phone. 
head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code Believe B L E A V for your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. So, Alex, uh, do you want to explain to the people uh, how necessary it is for me to do all of that corporate, um, super fucking one percent stuff that you have me do at the beginning of the pod? You really go above and beyond, to be completely honest. Uh, you know the, the the Instagram and the YouTube plug and all that. That's <laughs> You know, honestly, that's above and beyond stuff, man. Uh, but the corporate part, you know, bet online. Love those guys. <laughs> Love bet online. <laughs> Nothing to say. No notes. I think you nailed it. You knocked it out of the park. It sounds great. Yeah, you can you can give me critiques tomorrow morning or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, uh, speaking of things we love, the New York Mets. No, we're not going to talk about the Mets. I don't want to make you sad. Please don't. Please. <laughs> please. I'll just like sign out. I'll just close this thing. I'll be like, pod's canceled this week. No, all right. No let's, Mets <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about the Knicks. Uh whose GM, unlike the Mets, doesn't talk to the media. Um, and that is a crime that he needs to be punished for. But uh forgetting all that, I think it's safe to say that. This is I hate I hate doing this thing where it's like this is a critical offseason. I think like every offseason is kind of critical. That's one thing I've just picked up on because I'm like I'm like I feel like every summer Celtics fans are having an existential crisis. And it and like when I'm looking at the Celtics from fucking way yonder, I'm just like I think it's fine. You guys will probably be really good again next year and win 55 fucking games, go to the Eastern Conference Finals and choke somehow. Like it'll be fine. Um, but this does feel like a, I don't want to say a critical off season, but it feels like an off season where the Knicks maybe have some opportunities. Um, and they have some decisions to make that I think, uh, like, I w- I'll guess this is the best way to put it. I would say prior to this off season, you know, we don't need to revisit the draft night, 2022 trade and like, like broadly speaking, I think a lot of their decisions for the front office were pretty straightforward as far as like oftentimes the prudent choice was just like don't do anything and keep going and see what happens but they had a really good season uh 47 and 35 make it to the second round you have this new cba comes in or that is coming in and you can already kind of see their teams that are cautious and i don't want to say they're i think they're very wary of wary of being in that second apron or the first apron or fucking any apron um, and what that can do and position themselves so that the cap is so that they can shave salary off their cap, which has opened up some interesting possibilities. And I think it's also changed the trade market. Um, we saw the Bradley Beal deal go down and obviously he has a no trade clause. That's part of it. His contract is not good at the price it's at, um, but he literally moved for no, I mean, no first round picks. That's pretty wild to think about. Uh, and even like, you know, John Collins, not a great player, but that's a guy that probably at any point over the last two years, they could have moved for some type of expiring salary and a protected first or something like that. They basically got nothing. I mean, they had to, I think they got a second round pick and Rudy Gay's expiring contract. Um, and like, I don't know, you, I think even the Porzingis deal, which is a weird one, or it's like smart gets two first, but Porzingis moves for none. It was a whole, it's a very odd trade, but like even that, again, like not much in the way of assets being moved around. 
it feels like there's an opportunity here maybe for the Knicks in terms of like, we've heard rumors of Zach Levine, we've heard rumors of Paul George. I don't know how exactly those things are priced, but looking at kind of the trades that we have seen, even the Chris Paul, Jordan Poole one, which is like, I get that it's a salary dump, but I mean, for a team like Golden State to salary dump Jordan Poole is very aggressive. And that's not something they would have had to do last year. They would have just been like, that's fine. We'll pay $450 million this year for our payroll. No big deal. Um, but I think you're seeing those those kind of uh, ramifications. And I, I, I guess we'll start with Paul George because my thinking on Paul George is just like, everybody is like operating under this assumption that, well, Bomber doesn't matter to him. He's fucking rich as fuck. He doesn't care. You know, he'll just sign the checks and they'll keep Paul George. They'll keep Kawhi Leonard because what else are they going to do? You know, they're fucked. They can't. And I, I kind of think of it the other way where like, if I'm bomber, I'm like, okay, well I've paid all this money for pretty terrible ROI at this point. Like I've gotten one conference finals trip out of this. I've seen Kawhi play like for seven minutes. Uh, Paul <laughs> George has played for like 35 minutes. I, it, I mean, they've all, they've both missed a shit ton of time. And they're both expiring contracts effectively this year because they have player options for next year. So you're kind of between a rock and a hard place where it's like, okay, our team is aging. We have all this depth, but it's not good depth. And it's not, it's old and we're not athletic. We're just, and then with this new cat, like CBA, okay, we, we're not going to be able to do these trades. Like we're not going to be able to just take on more salary and aggregate and all this type of shit. So what is our pivot? Where can we move? And that's why I kind of wonder, and I, I kind of think, and like looking at Golden State, another team that has not hesitated to spend a lot of money, and how they've changed even this year, right? With like, I think that Chris Paul trade is a huge change for them. Um, like, I think that Paul George is more available than the Clippers seem to want to make us believe. And who, like, I think it's funny that like guys like Howard Beck and and uh zach Lowe and on and they're like oh like last week it was like oh no he's available and then it was like oh no actually no no he, he's they were just listening you know it's not that serious and i'm like so it seems like that was probably it seems like if they're listening there's something there because i don't even think they would have listened a year ago um and i guess just like i don't know for me i think if you can get paul george at a super cheap price like you know look at what the fuck again like i don't think it would be the same deal because the Bradley Beal thing is just so weird, but it's not that he has a no trade clause, but he can be a free agent if he wants to be next year. And it's like, how many teams want to extend him? How many teams are willing to extend him? Who knows what the hell he wants on his extension? Does he want a full max? Is there some like leeway there? How many teams are willing to meet that? And so because of that, I think it presents an interesting opportunity for the Knicks to consider depending, I guess, on how you feel about the current roster and just where they stand in the East. Yeah, I think that we're starting to see like the effects of that new CBA starting to kick in immediately. Where last year, if a player became available that's making damn near fifty million dollars, but you know, teams were like, "Oh, but this guy could put us over the top." They'd be like, "Hell yeah, do that in like half a second!" Like, I I won't even think twice about that. And now there's like starting to think twice, or like these guys that are making that much money now it's starting to be like well i mean if we're gonna make a move for that guy we have to basically be sure that we have enough in place as far as young players and everything else that we don't expend the 
you know, the pick cupboard and the, you know, the, the asset, you know, the young player asset, I hate calling players assets, but like the young, you know, Are you sure? young player collection. Sure. You corporate overlord. <laughs> the, you know, these pieces of meat yeah. that we just trade My, around for graphics. This podcast yeah. asset that I have. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, like I, I think that we're starting to see already the teams are less willing to part with more pieces from their team, you know, because they're like, well, crap, there has to be enough left for this team to compete. You can't go all in anymore and do like, like Miami in their early 2010s or whatever, and just be like, we'll just pay three superstars a butt ton of money and then just like fill in around them. And that should be good enough. Like we're seeing now that a well-constructed team with like one or two big stars on it, like say the Nuggets with a bunch of really good role players can be enough. Or a team like Golden State that's like that one last year that had, you know, Steph Curry is still a megastar, but like Clay Thompson is not quite who he once was. And, you know, Jordan Poole just got you know, basically salary dump to Washington for Chris Paul. So obviously they didn't think very highly of him, or at least not as highly as we thought. You and know? Like, and I think like that Golden State team, like they wouldn't exist. Like that that team wouldn't exist if this CBA was in place. Um, like exactly. they were able to take on, you know, like they did that whole Wiggins thing, which they stayed over the cap. Like it was the whole process. So like, yeah, I mean, they've just, they operated in a way that, like, and I think that's what the Jordan Pool, like, obviously, if they really love Jordan Pool, they would have found another way to cut salary. So they were clearly okay mm-hmm. with cutting him or, you know, finding a way to cut his salary anyway. Uh, but yeah, like, to your point, they did choose to cut him. And so that says something about kind of the tough decisions that these teams have to face uh, under the new CBA. And, you know, with Paul George, it's like, I actually was like playing around with the Clippers cap sheet and stuff today. And, like, if they just let their contracts expire, they'd be fine. They'd be, like, after the season, I think they would have only $60 million left on their books between, like, Zubach and whatever the fuck it is. Like, it's, like, $60 million, right? But you're also, like, are, here's the problem they have, okay? They owe their pick this year to OKC. They have a pick swap they owe to OKC the following season in 2025. I believe that's top 10 protected, but I'll check on that. And then they also own an unprotected pick in 2026, uh, to OKC. So to me, like, this is why they're in such this weird position and why I kind of wonder, like, like, I don't think in an, if the, if this CBA hadn't kicked in yet, I don't think there's any situation where they're like, we'll do RJ Barrett as the main piece coming back to us and just like, you know, Fournier expiring. And even if they were willing to do it, I think they'd be like, okay, well, we want all your picks. You know, if they, even if they were willing to pivot, which I don't think they would be under the old CBA, I think they'd be like, we want all of your picks. And, you know, whether you think they sh- the Knicks should do that or not is up to you. I don't think they wouldn't. I, I absolutely wouldn't do that. But I actually think they can do it now in a way where I'm like, I think I might do it. Like, even I'm like the, I've been the fucking like champion of don't do anything. That's been like my crying call for like three years. Like, no, don't do anything. That's not a, no, no, it's just, relax don't do anything we're fine i kind of think the Knicks should do something and i just and i i really like the paul george idea because the more i think about these deals that are going out and like that that we've seen i'm like look if the if the clippers won't do a trade at the price that i want that's fine then i can well, i'll figure something else out to do and obviously hopefully the i'm sure the front office already has multiple plans and avenues to pursue and whatever whatever way free agency in the offseason unfolds. Um, but like if I can do 
RJ, Fournier, Toppin, and like a first, and one of the protected picks for a PG. I mean, I don't even know if you need to go that much, to be honest. Like, I, I really wonder that, because the more I see these deals, I'm like, feels like there are teams that just need to cut salary and get the best pieces they can for what they can get. And like, I don't, like again, as Allen, the Clippers, they can't tank. They cannot tank this year. Mm-hmm. So getting a guy like R.J. Barrett, who, you know, we can have the R.J. Barrett discussion at some point on this pod, but like, let's just say R.J. Barrett has not established himself as a star yet, but he plays games. He plays fucking games, right? He plays 70 games, 80 games, whatever it is. He plays games and he plays minutes. He plays a lot of minutes. So that's a stark departure from one Paul George and one Kawhi Leonard. I think that can be appealing to the Clippers. I also think the fact that he is locked in on his contract is appealing. Like, it's not a max contract. It's below a max contract. And it's locked in. You don't need to negotiate it. The Knicks already did the hard part for you. That's mm-hmm. We're good to go. Go for it. Like, you're, you're set. Um, I think those things are appealing. And he's 22. I think, like, I know there's the whole thing of, oh, they're moving into a new stadium. I got to say this, like, I think Paul George is really good. I think Kawhi Leonard is fucking awesome. I don't know how much people in LA are like drawn to these guys. I I'm willing to be totally wrong on this. I don't know how much of a draw they are. And if they're not playing many games, how much of a fucking draw is that? I mean, how much of a draw is this Clippers team? Really? After last season, is anybody sitting there like, man, when is, when is the stadium open anyway? This year? No, the start of next year. Yeah. So they might not even be there by that time. You know what I mean? Like, and and it's like, and do you want to negotiate with, because I think the, the thing that I this is what I really wonder with Bomber, right? PG and Kawhi have that leverage in the situation mm-hmm. there, where they're like, "Well, you got to pay us. You traded all this mm-hmm. shit for us, and you're opening this new stadium. If you don't pay, if you don't give me the max extension I want, I'm walking." Mm-hmm. And all they got to do is find one. They, all they need to do is bring one team to the table, one threat that can at least credibly be like, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna throw them a max." That's all they need mm-hmm. to do. Find one team. Mm-hmm. And then Bombers, like, shit out of luck. He either pays them or he doesn't. Um, and I don't know. I, I wonder if in his case, he's just like, I want to get out of this business a little bit. At least a little bit. Like, let me get out of... Because you're not going to get shit for Kawhi. He just literally doesn't play. Like, he doesn't play. And then he played last year. And as soon as he was ready for the playoffs, he has an awesome game one. And then it was just like... So the funny thing uh, is I'm actually out now for the rest of the playoffs. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't know. I... That's where I'm at with this, where I'm like, I just find this entire opportunity so tantalizing because I feel like there's an opening here that was not realistic even four months ago. Like, until we knew about what this new CBA was, this isn't even something I would have considered a possibility. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's, I I think the Knicks are sort of uniquely positioned too in the fact that they, I mean, you already alluded to it, like RJ is making a reasonable amount of money, but more importantly, at least as far as the Knicks are concerned, because they seem very, well, the one guy they should absolutely, Jalen Brunson, obviously you should, he's the guy to build around now. Just trade him for picks. I mean, yeah, (laughs) quite frankly, it was a great investment, but let's, let's just flip him for some picks. No, I'm kidding. Um, I mean, he's the guy you build around now. And now depending on who you ask, like some fans would say like, ship Julius Randall out now some fans would say you know well no he was an all-nba player this year clearly the Knicks believe they're they're more in the camp of he was an all-nba player this year we're keeping him we're building around him we're gonna build with him 
So if those are your two guys for sure, they're on super affordable contracts. I mean, especially that that become even more valuable from a team building perspective in this new CBA. Like they're both making under thirty million dollars, and I think they will for the entire lengths of their deals, which is insane. When you have guys that sign super maxes under the I guess current CBA, like previous iteration of the CBA that wasn't as punitive. Like I don't think we're going to see as many super maxes getting handed out in the next few years as we did previously. But like you have guys like Zach Levine or like Beal or uh cat, you know, like guys that have won nothing in their careers, you know, that are going to be getting like damn near $60 million by the end of their contract, which is insane. You know? So it's, that puts the Knicks in this unique position where they're like, you know what? We haven't paid a number of these guys on our roster yet. Like Emmanuel quickly, they still have one more year or potentially through this offseason to pay him uh, Obi Toppin. They probably won't pay because he'll probably be in a trade if they make one uh, as a, as you know, an extra incentive to, to get a deal done. Um, but you have Quentin Grimes, who's not due to be paid for another, you know, uh, I guess by this time next year, you might be talking about potentially extending him, but like, these guys are still pretty cost controlled, all things considered, and and are not guys that you imagine are going to sign for like thirty five million dollars. You know, like they're not going to sign like rookie maxes. So you kind of know, like, okay, like most of the guys on the team will be making, I don't know, at most like fifteen to twenty million dollars, something like that, um, depending on, of course, what quickly and Grimes get. But you know, I think it positions the Knicks nicely to go after a move like this and go after a guy like a Paul George and then say, Hey, you know what? Like uh, maybe it won't be a full max, but, or like a super max deal, but like we could certainly afford to give you like, like $45 million or whatever for like three years, you know, or something like that, like 45 million a season for three years on your next deal. And if that's cool by you like that, we could totally do that. And we don't want, we'll still be able to build a team around you, which, I would hope to a guy like a Paul George, like this late in his career would be part of what's important to him. Like, will I actually have a chance to win something in my career? You know, I, it depends on the player, but he at least seems like a guy based off his motivation so far in his career that seems to be chasing the ultimate dream of hopefully winning a championship at some point. Uh, more so than just necessarily being like, I just need super max contracts till the day I retire and that's it. Um, so maybe that's appealing to him too. And, you know, as you alluded to, he, <laughs> He would presumably have at least that little bit of power this year where he could be like, look, I, I don't want to come back here. This just isn't working. Like, me and Kawhi are boys, but like, clearly, like, we can't, we're never healthy at the same time. And he, he you know, he, well, he could just be lying to get leverage, right? Like, he could just yeah. lie. He I mean, he could him. also just lie and yeah. he could just tell Kawhi, like, look, bro, like, it didn't work, you know. Yeah. Business, business is business. I want to go somewhere else, you know. Kawhi I feel would like, Ka- like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like Kawhi is probably more like I just want to stay in LA because I'm good. Like I won my championship. Family is he's won two titles. Yeah. yeah. I'm good. Like I don't really care. Whereas I feel like I don't know. I, not that I have any idea what Paul George thinks internally, but I don't know. Like I, it's kind of weird because I used to really not like Paul George at all. Um, but I feel like. After the bubble thing, I think he talked about he had mental, he had like a mental health stuff down there. I think he got help for it. Um, and at first, like, you know, everybody, when they lost in the bubble, they had like their own excuses for like what happened in the bubble, right? Um, and I was just like, okay, dude, whatever. But I remember watching him the next year and like, you know, he, he did help. I mean, he, he effectively carried them to the Western Conference finals. They go six games with the Suns. Um, but I just feel like, and like, you know, he, I mean, now he's doing the podcast stuff. So you kind of get like a different, you get like a more of a, 
a podcast setting is more relaxed, right? I mean, not like ours is very professional, um, but not all podcasts are super professional. And no, his seems like very like, I mean, he's like very chill and the conversations they have on there are good. I don't know if you listen to the one that he did with Randall. That was a good one. Um, but like, I don't know. He just seems like he's in a more relaxed fucking place. And I'm kind of like more open to the idea that he could exist in New York and be in New York than I did a few years ago when I was like, oh, thank God we never signed that guy. And now I'm kind of like, maybe he makes sense. I don't know. Um, but yeah, like, I think the the one thing with him too, and you talk about, I want to go back to what you said about the Knicks being well positioned. By the way, the pick swap they owe um, to OKC in 2025 is unprotected. So yeah, they basically don't have control of their draft capital for the next three years in one way or the other. Um, but you mentioned that the Knicks are uniquely positioned for this. And I agree with that. And I agree in the sense of like that Fournier. Ex- I mean, Fournier is an expiring. Obi is, ba- is he's an expiring also. If you really want to talk about it, um, he's in the last year of his rookie deal that could effectively acts as an expiring contract if you wanted to. But they are like they can offer the Clippers. Here's a good. Here's a good young player locked up below max. You don't have to do anything. You just got to take the contract and. We're going to give you a bunch of expiring salary too, so that you're not, you know, you're not taking on the whole Paul George contract for the next three years. It's actually just the RJ deal minus, you know, that twenty million or whatever the hell it is. I think Obi and Fournier come out to about twenty four point eight or something like that, expiring. Uh, they're well in. They're well into the repeater tax now at this point too. Right? Yeah, they, yeah, they're into like. Every tax that exists, they're into that. So it would be good to like reset the clock for them too, potentially, if they want to make one last run with Kawhi, like potentially like next year, be able to, to you know, kind of find you know, like get themselves under that tax line, so that then they can reset, make one last run at it with Kawhi if they want to, and then potentially, you know, make something out of that potentially as well. Yeah, I mean, it just again, like I, I this is where I've like personally just think. There are teams that I feel are making mistakes. Like, I think this is, you're not going to get the value for guys that you could have gotten a year ago. But if you're a team like the Clippers or you're a team like, I think a better example is probably even like Minnesota. I think it's a huge mistake not to be looking to to move some of your big name guys right now. Because right now there are teams that have cap space, expiring contracts, whatever, to absorb them. And the full ramifications of this CBA haven't hit yet. It gets way, way harder to do that moving forward. Where it's like if you're in that upper apron, if you're past in the second apron, you can't aggregate salaries, right? You can't take on more money than you're sending out. Like you're restricted by all these various things. Um, I forget the rule where it's like if you're over, if you're thinking if you're in the second apron for two years in a row or two out of four years or something like that, your pick automatically moves to the back of the first round. Like there are all kinds of restrictions there. And so it, it just to me like none of us, not nobody, fully understands how things are going to play out this new CBA. So this is actually to me the most dangerous time, where like you might make moves because you're misinterpreting how the market is going to react, or the the league, I guess in this sense, is going to react to various rules and stipulations, and you might be wrong about it. And so like. I think it's just better to get out of the business of having these massive contracts, especially if a team's not going anywhere. And as talented as Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are, that team's not going anywhere. Like, they were a first-round exit this year. 
And the gap, and like let's let's even say they are the second best team in the West when they're healthy. They have gotten absolutely destroyed, crushed by the Nuggets for the last two years. Like they got curb stomped by them the last this year in the regular season. Every single game they played got absolutely crushed. I think they even lost a game to them like by twenty when Jokic didn't play. Like they just are owned. They get owned by that team. So, so to me, and like the only major piece, if I remember correctly, that the Nuggets are unlikely to bring back is Bruce Brown. That's it. Everybody else is going to be back on that team. Like that team is not going anywhere. Um, and like, I just don't see how they are positioned or have the flexibility to get by them. So at that point, aren't you better off like downshifting in some capacity, getting back what you can. And like, look, maybe some other team can step in and top a Knicks offer, but I'll tell you this. I think the Knicks are one of the few markets that can reasonably appeal to Paul George. Um, who probably wants to play in a big market. Um, and obviously, we know the CAA connections. We know the connections he has with Julius Randle, who he's good friends with. Like, all these things are there. That there's a, The Knicks have bet on this stuff, right? Like, they clearly bet in some capacity on their relationship with Josh Hart, obviously, as a CAA guy, with the fact that him and Jalen Brunson basically, like, would be married if they weren't actually, like, married to other people. Um, like, like they, they bet on this stuff. And I think we're going to see that they have bet on it more in free agency this year. Uh, if a certain Dante DiVincenzo signs the Knicks, like I think, and, and look, I, I do think there's something to the idea of, I know it's funny cause Bondi, uh, responded to Prez very facetiously with like, Oh, like look at this quote by worldwide West where he said, it's all about family. But like, I do think that's part of it. You know, they have bet on guys that they feel like they have a personal relationship with to an extent. And like, I don't know if Wes has any type of relationship with Paul George, but we know he has a relationship with Randall. We know Leon, obviously everybody in the org does. And we know that Randall has a relationship with Paul George. Like we know that Leon has a relationship with fucking CAA and Aaron Mintz. I'm sure like Aaron Mintz is, he's not just uh, the main CAA agent. He is Julius Randall's agent. He was Alfred Payton's agent. Uh, the Knicks, I think you could safely say, did Alfred Payne quite a solid uh, when they gave him that deal, Leon's first year at, with the Knicks. Like, I think that was a pretty solid favor they did him. Um, so they had this relationship with guys, and I feel like Paul and Paul George fits into that. You know, like, it just it doesn't seem two weeks ago, if you told me this, I'd have been like, you're fucking crazy. Like, what are you talking about? This isn't, doesn't make any sense. It's not going to happen. But the more. Like, I've thought about this, and the more stuff happens with this new CBA, I'm just like, is it really that crazy? And I think, and this is the part we haven't even talked about yet. And I think we, I mean, I think we disagree on this, but maybe we disagree on this because we initially, the first time we talked about this was like, I think the price we were talking about was very different of like what Mm -hmm. it would cost to get Paul George. But like, I'm just really into this idea because I think this team is really good. Um, And I think. As much as the Julius Randle of it all and Tibbs of it all worries me, I'm, and like I don't love giving up on RJ Barrett. Um, I don't know, and, and I don't think this is giving up on him. You know, I don't think it's giving up on him to include him in a Paul George trade. I think it's a calculated risk, and I think the risk you're taking is okay. I'm probably going to get like I could probably get, you know, RJ Barrett's going to be in the league for the next ten years, something like that. More than that, probably. Is he ever going to hit the level? And more importantly, is he going to hit the level that Paul George is at, let's say, for the next two years? Is he going to hit that in the next two years? And if not, like, 
does that limit what this team's ceiling is? Because I do think it does because his role is so important. Like he's the third usage guy on this team. And in a lot of ways during the playoffs, he was the second usage guy on the team. Um, and like, I don't know. I don't believe he has the rounded skill set to be in that role. And on top of that, like as good as the playoffs were for him, they were not like, he wasn't, you know, prime Kobe or something in the playoffs. Uh, like it was good. It wasn't amazing or dominating. And we also have to accept that like the regular season was really bad for him. It was just not a good regular season for him this past year. And he's been up and down throughout his career in the regular season. Like there were, there are months where we're like star J Barrett. It's happening. The turn is coming. Like we fucking, he, he's, he's here now and he's never going anywhere. And then it's like, then you have these months where he looks like he can't move and he's the molasses. The defense this year was really, really bad. And I understand like there's a value in the, like, so you have to weigh what what you think he can be, and the fact that he's durable. He's probably going to play like seventy five games plus, right? And then you weigh that against a guy who injury risk, expiring contract that you have to negotiate with after the season. But but when he is on the floor, he is still still to this day one of the best wings in the league, one of the best two way wings in the league. Guy is an incredible defensive player still, and obviously. He has an. He is like the type. He basically is the perfect wing that you want on this roster. That's the thing that makes it so hard to like. Like I don't feel this strongly about Zach Levine because I'm kind of like, all right, Levine is. I get it. He's durable. He's younger, but like he's not. You know, he's not in that caliber of a player. Whereas Paul George, I'm like, look, I get. I might only get 50 games out of this fucking guy this year, but I think I do it, and I just I think our roster is like suited. To overcoming it, especially if we do sign Dante DiVincenzo, right? Because, like, I think it would benefit. It, it's not. It's not necessarily the worst thing in the world if Paul George misses thirty games, and you get to see what quickly and Grimes can do with more usage. We I mean we we saw them. I think both benefit from that this year. Um, and to me, as long as the bet is really like, do we think our medical staff, everything we can do, can we manage him so that he is ready come playoff time? That's the bet you're making. Because if he is ready for the playoffs, I saw enough from this team where I feel like I can go to war with Jalen Brunson and Paul George as my top two guys in in the playoffs. And are we the favorite to come out of the East? No. But I think it's like, I think there's a real shot. There's a real shot, especially if the Julius thing, and I, I think you've talked about this, like, I think you tend to err on like, there's more of his performance this year was influenced by the injuries than. I know I give credence to, and a lot of people give credence to. Um, so, like, if you err on that side, then I feel like you should definitely. I, I don't know. To me, if you think you can get those three guys in the playoffs playing right, and you believe in Julius was more affected by injury than just some weird inability to perform in the playoffs. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll take that three. I'll take those three, and I'll go to war with them, and I'll take my chances. I think that's like a pretty awesome three guys in that scenario. Yeah, I think when you were talking about RJ and like, can he get to a Paul George level in the next couple of years? I, I actually just had this discussion. So I did like a locked on, uh, like crossover episode with the Bulls guys and talked about Zach Levine. It's actually probably literally came out today, the same day as, <laughs> as this podcast is coming out. So you can go listen to that after this, I guess, if you want. Um, but 
I was talking to them and they, they asked me a, a sort of similar question in the sense of like, what would Levine bring to the Knicks that RJ wouldn't, that the Knicks would even consider doing this deal if RJ is indeed like, you know, a, a young player, a potentially rising star, whatever else. And I was like, the one thing that I am now at this point, you know, at four years in, very unsure about with RJ is being able to self-create anything outside of the paint. And that's that's really finally starting to be like a real worry for me. I, can he potentially create a three-pointer, you know, on the perimeter? Yeah, I guess in theory, but can he make it? I'm not sold on that at this point. <laughs> I don't I think just, he is he, too. He stopped taking them. <laughs> clearly, you know, he doesn't take self-created threes and that's such a key shot. You know, we saw that in the playoffs this year, like when Julius was hurt, which yes, I you, you got my position at this point nailed. Like the second that Julius had to get that surgery, I was like, nah, like even if that was just like, like precautionary and just a clean out, like that underscores like that injury was bad. And I, I you know, as someone who, as a normal human struggles with ankle sprains, like one is bad enough. A second one on top of that, like his freaking foot must have felt like it was going to fall off most of the playoffs. Um, so I could totally understand if he wasn't as bursty as he normally would be, which meant not getting to the rim as much, which meant, and also not as much lift on your jumpers, whatever. That's like a whole other podcast. But like, as far as RJ's concerned, like that's where my concerns lie. And, you know, I think that he could continue being a really good player. And, you know, maybe a guy like a Ty Lu would find ways to just get enough out of him that, like you said, like during the regular season, even when Kawhi's hurt, he could just be like a workhorse that just goes out there and gets them their 30 points, you know, no matter what, you know, on any given night. And, it, you know, if you give RJ like 35 shots a game, he could probably get you 30 points any given night, um, which, you know, maybe would happen on that team. But, you know, I, I just think that that's the, the differentiator. And that's where, like, when you talk about, if the Knicks got Paul George, could they potentially compete for an Eastern Conference Finals or even making a Finals? I think the big thing is you get another guy that can create a shot on the perimeter and can reliably make perimeter shots, which is a huge thing that the Knicks really struggled with, even from their best shooters during the last playoffs. Like, quickly couldn't hit anything. Grimes, for large stretches, couldn't hit anything during the playoffs, so the team still greatly respected him as a shooter at least which opened things up but if you had a guy who could actually hit those shots that he's respected for like that totally changes things and if he could also create those himself then you could have other guys like Jalen Brunson for example who's also a great spot up shooter be out there and ready to receive a pass and you know potentially take a way easier shot than what he got all playoffs when he was already electric and already awesome you could give him a few gimmies every game and save his legs a little bit for being able to close games and be that offensive force down the stretch. But then even with Randall, like the, the implications on Randall become that much better too, because then if Randall's healthy, if Randall is operating as the third option, we saw how valuable it can be too. If, if Randall doesn't have to be involved in the, the a or B action of the offense, and then can just sort of be the guy that crashes in on the boards, gets an offensive rebound and then puts that thing back up and uses his finishing ability inside to get an and one or something almost like a, like plays similar, like a, it's not the same as what Mitch does. Obviously it's more valuable because Randall's Randall's, you know, rebounding opportunities are often in those scenarios, like coming out of nowhere to get that rebound, which he has a great sense for. I mean, I don't know. I think you're, I think you're looking at a really, really interesting core that way. Now, like, 
does it give me a little bit of pause to send RJ Barrett to Ty Lu, who I think is maybe the best? Eh, I don't know about the best. Maybe Spolstra still is the king of this, but maybe the second best coach in the entire NBA at taking any given player and extracting the absolute best version of that player out of them. It, it would make me a little nervous. I, I'm not going to lie. And, and George's injury history, I think, is what really gives me pause in, in the sense that both he and Kawhi, I mean, it's been it's it hasn't all been Kawhi. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The injury issues there. Like, I mean, George is a big part of it. And like he's he's had some times where he's not been able to perform the playoffs because he's hurt at that time of year and his body just seems to break down by a certain point. You know, I would have real concerns about bringing him in, about giving up a guy like an RJ Barrett about giving up additional assets, you know, like draft picks and stuff in the future in order to do that. But in a, in a perfect world where I could just see that team like for sure healthy and for sure able to all play together and, and take the floor in the playoffs and, and play the whole playoffs together. There's absolutely no reason why they couldn't potentially make an NBA finals or something. I mean, that is just, that is a, True big three that checks all the boxes of all the things you need in the modern NBA as far as, you know, shot creation, three-point shooting, uh, passing ability. Like, George is a pretty good passer as well. Brunson, obviously, is great. Randall at his best, especially if he had two guys on his team like George and Brunson that could absorb some of that uh, or at least give him a, a great outlet out of a double team or something like that. I mean... The sky's the limit, really. And then you have already have a guy on the team in, in Quentin Grimes that you can rely on to be a second, like, A-plus-plus defender at the wing spot. Uh, you already have a Mitchell Robinson, who is one of the best, like, rim-protecting centers in the league and one of the best rebounders in the league. And then you have Emmanuel quickly off the bench. I mean, that's that's a really legit team. And, and Josh Hart off the bench, for that matter. And potentially Dante DiVincenzo. I mean, that's it's very appealing. The risk is there. But I do think, and I mean... You alluded to. We talked to this like we talked about this like in a in a DM recently where you were floating this out there and we're like, well, what would you think if the Knicks gave up? It was I think at the time you said like RJ and and like Fournier and like all of their protected picks, like all four of those protected picks oh. or something. And I kind of scoffed and I was like, ah, it just feels like too much. Like George is injured all the time or whatever. But I think that part of that is me, and I think a lot of people within this fan base have to sort of at a certain point readjust our expectations around this team and stop looking at things through a prism of what could be and start looking at what or what could be for certain players and start looking at what could be for the team you know what i'm saying like if that makes sense well i think i think it's like and this is where i kind of have gotten to over the last couple weeks is like for the since basically fucking shit since what 20 since like 2014 mm-hmm. it's basically just been like don't trade picks don't trade picks keep our young guys see what we can develop don't do anything until like we have a foundation and even in that time right it's just you know you're not like okay you get porzingis but then you kind of miss on the frank and knox picks and then porzingis wants out so you have to blow that up again you know like you have the whole mellow thing that goes on in that time you give tim hardaway that contract then he has to go out in the porzingis trade um and then it's like, okay, it, it then you're like, okay, we got RJ, and then Leon takes over. And you're thinking about, you know, like, okay, okay, you got quickly OB. 
let's just let's see a little bit longer. And then you're like, okay, we made the playoffs, but we got totally destroyed in the first round. Still doesn't feel like the right time. Like, you know, do what you got to do in free agency. Just be, you know, keep the contracts kind of like shorter and draft these guys. And okay, you had Grimes, you had Deuce, you had Sims, and you're like, eh, okay, we missed the playoffs this year. Okay, Donovan Mitchell's available. Mm, not sure. Like, I like Jalen Brunson, but not sure we're ready to like go for it with Donovan Mitchell. And you know, let's see what this team can do this year, and then let's go from there. And then it's like, okay, well, the team did what you would want it to do, and it wasn't just like, okay, Jalen Brunson all on his own and Julius Randle all on his own. Like, you know, like you said, Emmanuel quickly was runner-up for his kid of the year. I still think he should have won it. Um, I don't care if he struggled in the playoffs. Like, it's not a playoff award. It's a regular season award. He should have won it. Um, you know, Quentin Grimes, his insertion in the starting lineup, you could say was maybe the single most important rotation decision that occurred this season. He was huge for us this year. Mitchell Robinson takes a big step in his career, I thought. He thought he was great this year, and I've had super reservations about him like over the last couple of years. Um, you know, I don't Deuce obviously didn't kill it, but he was part of the rotation change that helped turn the season. Like I think that he deserves credit for that. You know, he's for a guy you took 36 overall to at least provide that type of impact means something. RJ Barrett did not have the greatest season. We've talked about that, but like fourth year, whatever it was, 19, five and three, and it's not the greatest season ever. It's not the worst season ever. Um, like I think there's real progress he made individually, but this is kind of to your point. Like, do I think RJ Barrett made progress as an individual this year? I do. Do I think that his progress benefited the team? I think that's a lot more of a difficult question to answer. And that's kind of what the problem is. Or not, it's not a problem. It's just like the reality of where this team is, where it feels like we can either make the bet that RJ Barrett is going to develop his overall skill set to the point where he's not just putting up numbers, but he's doing so efficiently and impactfully and helping us really move the needle. Whereas at times this year, it felt like he was just a passenger on the boat. And what you really got to like betting on is if you're going to keep him, you got to bet that he's going to be able to do it. Cause if not, if he doesn't, if, if he doesn't make that leap next year, I don't think you're just risking taking us like stagnating. I think you're taking a risk of stepping back because other teams in the East are going to be looking to improve. Like that's how fucking sports works. That's how anything works, right? If you're not trying to get better and you're in a competitive market, people, your competition will surpass you. Um, and like, that's not to say that the Knicks can't get better internally. I absolutely think they still can, but you're at a point where you can't just be like, well, let's wait, Let, let's see what these guys, we know what these guys can do to some extent. And you're in RJ Barrett's, you're entering his fifth year. I'm not saying he's done developing. I'm not saying he's a totally known commodity, but you know what he has been for four years. I think you have to make some really hard evaluations. And, like, it's hard for me to want to trade R.J. Barrett for 33-year-old Paul George. Like, I'm not even fully all the way, on, all the way there on Zach Levine. I get, I get, like, all the arguments I've had with people, and Jeremy has his 75-hour fucking explanation of this cap thing and like, the stepping stones. And I'm like, look, Jeremy, I get it. You did a wonderful job. It just doesn't feel right. I don't know how else to explain it. Like, the Levine thing just doesn't, it doesn't feel right to me. 
But the Paul George thing at the right price, I'm like, it feels right because I'm just like, this is this is a player that is in a, the caliber that moves the needle for almost any team in the NBA. Like, there's no like, how will he slot in? You know, you know what? Here's one. You mentioned this about RJ Barrett. RJ Barrett can't create off the dribble, right? Or he can't pull up shoot off the dribble. That's probably the best way to put it. Um, like he can get into the paint, but anything outside the paint that he's creating for himself is not a good shot. It's not a high quality shot. It's not a shot that he's comfortable taking. Um, and you can't run like you can't run RJ Barrett off screens. You can't use him off of DHOs. You can't run quick hitters for him to just like pop out for a three or pop out for a jumper or something like that. You can do all that shit with Paul George, all of it. So his usage, like yeah, he's still he might be on the same exact use as RJ Barrett was on, but it's going to look and feel different because he's capable of more versatile like he can spread his usage across more different play types than RJ can. Uh, and he's more efficient on more on different play types than RJ is. Maybe RJ will get there one day. It's not going to be next year. And if you don't think the Knicks have any potential to like contend in the next year, two years, especially, I think let's say the next two years, then you should not do this deal. If you do not think the Knicks can contend with Paul George in place of RJ Barrett, hundred percent, I will, I a hundred percent agree. Don't do this deal. But I think the Knicks can. Like I really think they can. That doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean they won't have to do any other trades and you just take Paul George and that's it. The team is done. No, but like getting those big pieces is often the hardest part. And I do feel like the Knicks have an opportunity to get one. And like, look, we can sit here and talk about the offense all day, but defensively, what Paul George gives you is something the Knicks literally don't have. They do not like Quentin Grimes is an awesome defender, awesome wing defender, versatile wing defender, whatever. He doesn't have the size that Paul George does. He doesn't play the passing lanes like Paul George does. Paul George is a guy who adds an element of just like, like the Knicks don't have a fucking Trayvon Diggs, right? They don't have a guy who's going to get a pick and take it to the house every Sunday or something like that. Paul George is a guy that can do that. And they don't have that. They don't have a, a big wing defender like him. Like I, the Knicks have actually, I mean, when they, like when we played the Celtics, right? Who ends up guarding Jason Tatum halftime? It's Randall. Put Randall on it because they're just like, well, I don't know. He's big. He's kind of a big wing at this point. Let's throw him on there. You can throw Paul George on him now. And let's say let's say Jalen Brown's cooking you one night. Okay, Grimes isn't getting it done. Throw Paul George on him. Like you have options defensively now that you just didn't have. And then you think about like what you can do when you want to play small, right? Like the Knicks don't have a wing that they feel comfortable at least. <laughs> who knows what Tibbs is comfortable with, but like they don't have, a, they don't have a wing that I necessarily would feel great about playing the four a bunch. But if you get Paul George now, like I feel differently, like I feel differently about that where it's like, okay, I would like to see what a, what is a, you know, a, a, a quickly Grimes heart, Paul George, pick a center lineup look like. Um, And, you know, I think it's worth noting, you know, Paul George did play with Hartenstein in, in, in LA. Hartenstein was well liked there. So maybe there's a relationship there also. Like there are connections there. And and just more importantly, like it's not just offense. Like I think with Zach Levine, right? We're just all we're talking about there is is the offensive upside worth the 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 play. Like even if you think they're defensively neutral, right? Is is the offensive upside that Zach Levine gives you, is that worth it? Whereas with Paul George, it's like I think he's an offensive upgrade and a defensive upgrade. So even if he's giving me less games, 
you can argue that in the games he plays, he gives me an, a greater aggregate impact. You know, so like it's a hard thing to measure and it's a hard thing to know. But like all I can say is forget the fucking numbers, forget all that. When I think about okay, Zach Levine and plays with RJ Barrett, I close my eyes. And I'm just like, this feels gross. I don't like it. This is the worst thing ever. So I don't want to try. I don't want to send RJ to Chicago. It sounds terrible. Like all like him and DeRozan together is going to be some of the worst spacing in the history of mankind. Like I don't want to see that. I don't want to do that to RJ. And I don't. I just don't want to see Levine here. Like I, something about that is just gross. It doesn't feel right. And like when I think about like okay, Paul George on this roster in place of RJ Barrett, I'm like, I'm like, man, it opens up possibilities we didn't have. I think it takes us like the the ceiling of that team is is higher like it's just a higher ceiling of a team and if you can keep that rest of that depth right the real core pieces of your depth man that team is fucking dynamic and i think they're a problem and i don't think they to me that's a team that like if they are right i don't think anybody in the east wants to play them i mean i mean you can say that about a lot of teams in the east because the east is tough but like they're a team can, that I don't. You can already say it about the Knicks in the East. Yeah, that's the thing. Like you can already say that even with RJ Barrett in place. Then no, no team wants to play the Knicks in the playoffs right now. Like, I, I think to your point too, it's, it's all about just giving this team something different, right? Like that's that's what you make this sort of move for. I do think we're increasingly reaching the point where, and the numbers have suggested this for years, but. We're sort of reaching this point, I think, where it, it's time to look at R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle together, too, and just acknowledge, like, I mean, I know maybe this isn't a perfect comparison, but I think that R.J. basically plays, like, 80% similar to Randle in a lot of ways. And I think that's part of why they just don't work together, except for R.J. can't do the things that set Randle apart and make him into an all-NBA player rather than just a really good player. Like, yell at his RJ's, teammates. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he can't yell at his teammates. You know, he hasn't gotten into enough verbal altercations with his coaches. He hasn't flipped Often, off the fans. He hasn't flipped off fans or thumbs down them. But no, it's, it's just like, you know, I, I think that he essentially can do a lot of the stuff that Randall can as far as, like, breaking down off the dribble, getting inside you know, even some passes from, you know, getting inside like that. But then he's missing that crucial element, which is that Randall can always create a three-pointer for himself. He can, you know, do all those those other little things. Plus, he's bigger than RJ. He's stronger than RJ. He's a better rebounder than RJ. Um, and that all just helps, you know, and that's not shit on RJ. I mean, it's literally comparing him to a guy that was voted one of the 15 best players in the NBA this year. But, like, I, I think that, you need to get a different look at that spot because there's not enough diversity in the offense when Randall's game is largely predicated on being able to draw in the defense. And when he's at his best, it's predicated on him getting inside fairly often to make teams respect him that way. Jalen Brunson's game is in some ways similar in that he also spends a lot of his time breaking down the defense, getting all the way into the cup. And then once he sort of establishes that, then he starts busting out the mid-range jumpers. Then he starts busting out the, um, you know, the, the step back three pointers and stuff like that. Once teams are effectively afraid of him driving in, and RJ, it's sort of the same thing. Like his whole game is predicated on like getting inside and either finishing or drawing fouls right now because that's pretty much his main weapon. Like other than that, the three point shot just isn't consistent enough, 
the mid-range game is more or less non-existent with RJ, which means that like that's his main thing that he's contributing to the offense, which means you basically, I mean, if he's going to be on a team where he's going to be successful as a, as you know, a primary, secondary, maybe high level tertiary option, whatever, he's going to have to be on a team where like pretty much everyone can shoot the ball around it because his whole goal is to get to the basket every time. And the Knicks have their two best players have that same goal when they're playing at their best. And I think that that makes the fit with RJ less than ideal. And that's also why you typically see like Jalen Brunson and RJ together positive, like uh, Jalen Brunson and Randall together positive Randall and, you know, most like Randall and quickly positive Randall and Grimes positive Randall and RJ usually at best a net neutral. I think they were positive one year. Right. And that was with like, that was that COVID year. And, uh, Empty stadiums and stuff, and it was that was look yeah. that, that was, was when RJ was shooting forty percent as right. a spot up three point shooter, which right. was what Julius needed that year, right? And but RJ hasn't been that guy since that year. Like RJ, I think, I think we've seen over time. Like last year, we were like, oh, Julius, num- Julius's numbers were fraudulent in twenty 2020 twenty to twenty one. But I think that this year we actually saw like he's actually a pretty decent shooter sometimes, or he can at least jack up enough shots and make teams respect him enough to be considered a good enough shooter to take the amount that he does and make like 35% of them. Whereas I think now we're kind of seeing that like maybe the one who had the, the overinflated numbers the most in 2020 to 21 was RJ. And that might be something that the Knicks need to correct on if they want to maximize this window, because the reality is like as much as RJ still has tons of room to grow. And maybe by the time that he's 25, 26, 27, they'll have like this, like, Andrew Wiggins turn around to his career or something where he'll really find himself and find the perfect role for him and be like a really key player on a really good team. But like, unfortunately the Knicks don't really have time to wait for that if they want to commit to Brunson and Randall. But even if you just look at it through the lens of Brunson, like this is a guy who's entering his prime. And when you have guys that are entering their prime and were as good as Brunson was this past year, sometimes you have to make that tough decision of like, Yes, R.J. Barrett might still have another gear, but Paul George already has that gear. And maybe the Knicks need to look at him as the guy, you know, to to kind of be the the final puzzle piece here and be that 1B star, allow Randall to slot down to a 1C. And if Randall, is an all-NBA third-team player this year, is your 1C, your team looks good enough to potentially, as we saw this year, with how fluky the NBA playoffs can be, like, your team might be good enough to win a championship then if if all the stars align, which of course they would have to. But I I think it's it's something to really consider now at this point because it's, you know, the Knicks are no longer in, because of how good they were this year, it would be irresponsible to still operate like you're in like rebuild mode at this point. They have to now start thinking about these sort of moves and and not necessarily not doing like what people suggested they do last year and just be like, get Donovan Mitchell at all costs because you got to get a star now. But they got to keep the options open and be open to the idea of if that right deal comes along, actually making it now. Whereas in the past, I think that I would have said it would be foolish for them to do that because I don't think it would have moved the needle enough. Now that they're at a point where the, the right needle moving move could put them in actual contention. And, and that's something that every NBA team should look to do if they have the opportunity. Yeah, I think I think now they have to be more proactive about like like previously a lot of 
frustration or not frustration, but like a lot of the issues was like, okay, you're not, you're not doing the baseline work for talking about trading for a star and being aggressive and all that stuff to matter. Whereas they've done that. Like they've done, not, I don't want to say the hard part because all of it's fucking hard, but they've done the first step, the second step even, right? Like they've gotten themselves into an area, into a region in the East where you're like, okay, this team is in the mix. I mean, look, if you want to say that Cleveland is in the mix, they beat the shit out of that team, you know? And I understand Evan Mobley's a baby and blah, blah, blah. But like, I, who gives that shit to, who, who would give that to the Knicks? Nobody would give that to the Knicks. This was a team that was supposed to be a, a class above the Knicks. Uh, the metrics in the regular season loved Cleveland. I think they were kind of like by some betting metrics a favorite in the East, which I thought was ridiculous. KOC, if anybody fucking bet on Cleveland to win the East, based on his recommendation, he should be fucking refunding them <laughs> with Elon's money. Um, but like, they, I mean, they, they didn't just beat, they beat the absolute piss out of that team. And, you know, we can debate the Miami series and whatever, but like, I don't know what the hell Miami, what happened in Miami in the playoffs, but they were just like a totally different team than they were in the regular season. I'm not sure what to make of any of that. The Knicks were a possession away from taking that to game seven, despite, you know, quickly not playing well and injured. RJ not having a good game six. Randall not having a good series. Grimes not having a good offensive series. Like Josh Hart kind of, his his three point regression hit at the worst possible time during that series. Like they had all these bad things happen to them, and they were still just a possession away, you know. And um, like from a game seven anyway. So they're in that mix. To me, they're in the mix, uh, and it just depends on how you feel about it. Like so, I don't know. To me, I, I just that's just what it is with me. I, I I don't know where you where did you end up on the Levine thing because. I get the Levine argument. Like I, the way I think about the Levine thing is, I just can't bring myself. Like if I was Leon Rose, and they were like, "Look, we negotiated this fucking deal for Levine, and it's whatever." I think it, I, I forgot what Jeremy specifically laid out, but it was someone like Barrett, Evan, and a first round pick, and another one of the protected first, something like that. If that's what the deal is, like personally, I just wouldn't do it because I'm just like I don't care. Like I Zach Levine does nothing for me. I don't like, but but if that trade were to go down, I don't think I would be apoplectic about it. I'd be like, okay, I get it, not my choice. I get it, but like, fine. Um, but where did you end up on the whole Zach Levine thing with the with the Bulls guys that you did? Uh, I was basically, I the way it ended was, I I even asked. I was like. On like scale one to ten, how how likely do you guys think this is to the two Bulls hosts? And they were like, one said like a four and a half. I think it was just in general, like how how likely do we think it would be that the Knicks and Bulls will even make a deal this offseason, but most likely for Levine. And one of the hosts is at a four and a half. Uh, the other host is at a three. I was at a three as well. I just don't think it's super likely because I think from the Knicks perspective, I think I think they'd be asking a lot of the same. Like I think they would ask themselves the same thing that you just said a second ago. It's like, is he going to make them good enough on both ends that you say, okay, let's give up, you know, RJ Barrett and multiple first round picks for this guy when we could save up and you know if the price for a star keeps going down, let's say. I mean, look, I don't think it's super likely, but let's just say like in a year and a half's time, like 
Luca or Giannis or someone like that says, you know what? I want out. Like, do you want to give up even a portion of that package for Zach Levine? If you're not sure that he's going to make you that good, like when the price for a star is going down and maybe a year from now, five first round picks is back to being like an obscene amount of picks to trade for somebody. And you don't have guys like Danny Ainge thinking they can get seven first rounders for like a, <laughs> like a B tier star, you know, like, uh, that's and and Levine, like in my opinion, and I think you're of this opinion too, is like a B tier star. I don't think that he's. I just think because of those numbers, be a that, star. It's hard. Like, uh, depends on how you're ranking. I'm like, I I think like the way I think of it is A tier is like superstar MVP guys. B tier is like guys that make all NBAs and more kind of close to perennial All Star types. And then C tier is like. Like, I would say, if this is so weird, Brunson is so hard to place because I'm like, he hasn't done it for multiple years, but I feel really confident Brunson's, like, at least a B-tier star. Like, I think he's a B-tier guy. Um, Randall's weird because... I, I, Randall's just weird, man. I, I'm done trying to understand the, the intricacies of Julius Randall's performance year to year. Uh, but he's, like... Him and Levine are somewhat comparable. I've always thought Julius is better. Um, so like, if you want to put them at the same tier, that's cool. But I would say like, they're, they're guys that are somewhere between like bordering the tiers, like C to B tiers. The best version of Julius though is way better to me than the best version of Levine. So take that order over. It's what it's anyway. Yeah. We don't need to debate what tier exactly. I get, I get the point though. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, I think that, I think where I came down on Levine is basically, it, it, more or less what I just said, like, I don't, I don't think that the Knicks and Bulls would be able to come to an agreement that would work for them because I think what would ultimately end up happening, I think from the Knicks perspective, because of that uncertainty around Levine and, and just how good he makes you, I think they would be trying their hardest to be like, Hey, look, you know, you guys gave up a bunch of draft picks for this core that clearly is not working the way you want we can get you some draft picks back and you still won't like want to tank necessarily, but like you guys can still play with DeRozan and, you know, if you re-sign Vooch or whatever and, you know, go still do your thing. Like, well, you know, but at least you get some draft picks back. And, you know, I think that would be how the Knicks would want to approach it because they would want to hold on to as many players as possible to be like, no, we're going to need as much talent as we can get. We're going to need options in case we think that Levine down the stretch of any given game is such a defensive liability that we can't keep him on the floor. We're going to need other options out there. And, but I think the bulls are still going to be looking at this and saying, no, we can't, we can't tank. We can't like, and you know, we don't want to get demonstrably worse. We're going to need good players back And the Knicks are just, it's just going to be this, this, you know, pissing contest of like, well, I don't want to get that much worse. You know, talking about the bulls, like, well, I don't want to get that much worse that, you know, it's it's going to make me even worse than I was this year. And then the Knicks going, well, obviously we don't want to get worse or, you know, like just be even like we're trying to get better. Like so and especially if we're giving up the draft picks or whatever, like, you know, for a guy that might not even make our team that much better, we're going to need to hold on to as much talent as humanly possible on this team. And I think that's just going to lead to this like this like pissing match where you know, Chicago would ask for like Grimes or something. And the Knicks would be like, fuck no. Like you definitely can't have him in addition to RJ Barrett. And maybe you can't even have RJ Barrett, you know, like based off what some of these, these other superstars are going for around the league. Like 
I understand that it was a it was a controlled situation by Beal, but like I that trade did anything that's looking to make a star trade this summer like a huge favor. Um, because it's like now they can point and be like, well, look, we understand that that was like a, a a tough situation to navigate, but that's a guy that's like, I mean, I would say that he's probably better than Levine, you know, and he went for that little. So the Knicks now can be like, well, I understand there's, there's not this, this no trade clause thing in the way here, but you know, I, I don't think that Levine is worth that much. And then the Bulls of course would be like, well, yes, he is. And then it would just, I don't, I don't think it's going to end up happening. Um, mostly because I think that their, their interests are too aligned, uh, in what they're looking to do. Whereas at least I think you can make the argument like with the Clippers, for example, that they would say, look, we're fine with just kind of like treading water and being like a seven or eight C because we know the Kawhi only has a few more years left and George might've been out the door anyway. And, you know, we have Ty Lue who can milk the the most out of these guys and get a minimum an eight seed every single year, just like the heat kind of, uh, you know, so the, the, the Clippers would look at that and be like, fine, this is, this is fine. If we just get some draft picks, whatever. Uh, and, and, you know, RJ Barrett, but not much else. Whereas the bulls, I think would be pushing for like more than that for a lesser player. And if we know anything about Leon Rose, it's that he's just going to be like, well, no, sorry, peace. Like, that's it. <laughs> We're out of this discussion. So that was sort of the conclusion that I came to with the bulls guys was more or less like, it just doesn't seem like a perfect fit because what the two teams want is too similar. In, in what they would want to do in a trade, which is they both want to get better. And the Bulls, I think, are still, for better or worse, I guess we'll see what happens as far as the Vooch contract and if they wind up bringing him back or not. But like if they re-sign Vooch, it's obvious that they still probably foolishly think that this team can work in some way or another. And, and in that case, I don't see them necessarily making that move for Levine, and I think it would just turn into a stalemate. Yeah. Um <clears throat> Yeah, I, I just can't imagine that. I can see them wanting to move Levine, but I, I agree with you. I think their ask is going to be really high. Um, and I just, I don't know. I, I think there's more, like, the fact that he is locked in almost makes it harder because it's harder to figure out what the actual price should be. Because um, he's still pretty young. I mean, he's 28. It's not like super young, but... His contract is guaranteed, I think, through his age 30 or 31 season. He has a player option in the fourth year. He might take that. He might not take that. I would imagine he won't take it, to be honest, as long as he stays healthy and his production stays relatively stable. Um, but, like, again, I just watch him play. He's really good. He's really talented. He's athletic. The defense, I mean, he was on. He's been on two top ten defenses the last years, which is kind of mind boggling to me. Between the fact that him, DeRozan, and Avuch were all in those defenses, um, so at the very least, I guess you could say that he can be worked around on the defensive end to the point you're still good. Um, offensively, again, he's very dynamic, but like, and his, his he has these scoring binges that are pretty wild. But like, his decision making is pretty fucking bad. And I know RJ is not the greatest decision maker ever, but I will say like I think in, I feel like in crunch time I tend to trust RJ. Like at the end of games and stuff like that, I feel like he has a habit of coming up big for the Knicks at least. Um I can't say I've watched it on the Bulls, but when I have seen them, I've seen him make 
a lot of stupid plays down the stretch of games, offensively, defensively, whatever you want to say. And I just, I don't know, 40 million going for the next, it's like 40 to, I think his last year's 47 million. Um, I don't know. I, I'm just like, that's not a guy I want to pay 50 million. Yeah, It's just weird. I, I don't really know what to, um, if he was signed to the same contract that like RJ is or something, I'll be all about that deal. Like I would, I would probably be like, fine, dude. Like you know what? Send out RJ and a couple picks. I think that's good. But that's part of it. The guy's like a fifty million dollar player. I'm like, I just don't see fifty million dollars on him. I don't see fifty million dollars. I don't see like most of the NBA being worth fifty million dollars. Like there are way too many fifty million dollar players in the NBA right now, and that's something that's going to get corrected over the next number of years because of these new these new cap numbers and stuff. Like. He's he's paid way too much and is going to restrict your ability to team build way too much for the type of player that he is, I think. And I, I think that's that's one of the other biggest problems with Levine, I think, is that, yes, he's talented, and yes, maybe he even does make the Knicks demonstrably better because of what he can bring off the dribble and stuff, but you just you can't have $100 million tied up between him, Randall, and Brunson. Like... Because they're that trio, I just don't think is good enough to take up like, like, what what would that now be at this point? Sixty seven percent of your cap or mm-hmm. more, like almost seventy five percent of your cap. I mean, that's like that's a ton of money. Like, and most of it in Levine. Like Levine is paid like pretty much as much as Randall and Brunson combined, and that's just obscene. I understand that like not all contracts are one to one, you know, as far as like what the contract value is versus what the players' contributions are. And again, the Knicks are lucky enough to have two guys that are like massively underpaid. Uh but I just I don't I don't see it with him. Like I just I don't see how you could after you acquire him, how you could make your team good enough to then actually compete for like a championship. And that that's definitely part of my reservations for going for him too. Yeah, I just again like a lot of this stuff is just feelings and like my feelings on Levine, I'm just like, eh, no, I don't know. Nothing doing for me there. And that's kind of how I felt about like Mitchell last year or all I mean, I understood all like the assets and all that stuff too, but I'm like I mean, at the end of the day when you're making a big play for these guys, it's like does it make you feel like you're good? Does do you feel good about it? And I felt better about Donovan Mitchell than I do feel about Zach Levine and I feel great about Donovan Mitchell. So, like, what should I make me think about Levine? I, I don't know. I, I think if that's the best I can do, then I probably err on the side of just not doing it. Um, is there a price where I do it? Maybe. Uh, like, if it's just straight up RJ and Fournier for Levine, I guess. But I don't think that price exists because if the Bulls are making that trade, they're making that trade because they want to kick off a rebuild. And Levine, like Levine is their best asset, probably. He's their best player asset anyway, that they could trade. They're gonna want shit for him. And the Knicks, I don't think will want to give up the shit that they want them to give up for him. So um that's just kind of where I'm at with it. And I know we've talked a lot about RJ on this pod, but like I I, I don't know how you feel about this, but I, I've seen a lot of people like, oh well. You think RJ is going to go? Why wouldn't you include quickly? And I'm like, all right. Well, first of all, a lot of people are like, well, they can just opt into Derrick Rose, and then he can. I'm like, they're not going to do that because they don't want to be in the fucking tax. Lo and behold, it did not happen. Derrick Rose, uh, thank you for your service. Move on. Um, but like, if you 
like if they want to like if they if let's say a team's like you got to give us RJ quickly. Let's say that's like basically the only holdup, right? It's like if you're talking to the Clippers and like okay, we want one pick and uh you know the, the exact picks we let out. So one your own unprotected this year and a future protected first and like you know that's fine. That's the major asset going out. Just so just to get into the Paul George ballpark, you would have to do Fournier, you'd have to, which we know. Fournier, Toppin, okay, quickly. Then you gotta throw in Hartenstein too, which creates a gap in your rotation. And like I just don't think that makes sense. Like it just doesn't make sense to me to do that because the entire if you are gonna trade for Paul George, the entire appeal to me is it's a like for like trade effectively. You're you're just upgrading a spot in the rotation with that trade without creating any serious gaps. If you are doing it this way, then like, okay, I, I like DiVincenzo. He absolutely cannot play point guard. Like, he can't run your offense. That's just not the player he is. He is a terrible shooter off the dribble, first of all. So, I mean, good luck. Like, I don't see how that works. So now you got to go get a backup point guard. But if you wanted, but you just use your mid-level on Dante DiVincenzo, um, you can try to pretend, like, oh, Paul George can run the offense. And we all know that shit always is like better on paper and it sounds better than it ever works out. Uh, and then it's like, okay, Deuce McBride. Like I, I like Deuce. I think he could be a really good player. I am not comfortable betting on 15 minutes a night on Deuce McBride running offense. Like I just, I haven't seen enough from him. If he develops into that, great. Fantastic. Guess what? Now, if one of the, either him or quickly, one of them is expendable and maybe you can upgrade a different spot. That's great. That's a great problem to have. We don't have that problem right now until we see Deuce McBride make that a problem. That's not a problem right now. Um, we don't have too many point guards. We have just the right amount. And like, and 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 quite frankly, any trade, and I mean like any trade where both RJ and Quickly are included to me is basically a non-starter. I'm like not interested in that. I think. Those are your two young pieces that you need to split up for any potential trades because they're your two most valuable young pieces. I mean, Grimes could be too, but I like using those guys in theory um, as key pieces once they're paid. So like, like it makes more sense to use RJ Barrett now because he is paid. So I have to give up less pieces of my rotation to get to the salary price of a guy like Paul George, to get to the price to a guy like Zach Levine, right? Like you don't have to give up as much. Whereas if I include quickly, I have to give up more. And that just doesn't make sense to me. That defeats the purpose of the trade. Then next year, you know, if assuming you extend quickly, then yeah, we can talk about like, okay, now, okay, quickly and this guy and that guy to get upgrade this position. Maybe it's quickly and Randall for all I know. Like we can talk about that stuff, you know, but, but to me, it just doesn't make sense to combine them. And it doesn't make sense to use quickly this offseason because, like, I, I, I think, was it Miranda that did this? I don't remember who did this. Somebody did, like, I think it might have been Miranda in his piece that he wrote a few weeks ago about why he wouldn't mind if we traded quickly, which, good piece, don't agree with it. Um, but, like, he talked about what guys in that final, actually, no, I think it was Macri that did in his newsletter. But it's, like, basically what guys in the last year of their rookie year deals, what they returned in trade. And it's just like, you're never going to get the right return for a guy like that. Because most of the time, if you're tr like, the salary doesn't make sense, 
right? Because it's like he's a really good player, but his number is like super low for what he is. And most of the time it's like you're getting picks. Like, do the Knicks want picks? I'm sure the Knicks would be fine with picks to a certain extent, but like they're they want to win ball games. Like trading quickly in for picks doesn't help you win ball games. It creates a gap and that's it. Like I just don't see it. Like I, I'd be pretty shocked, honestly, unless some type of once in a lifetime opportunity came, uh, came, came available. But like, you know, and then the other part of this too, like let's say the Knicks are fine with the trade I outlined where it's Fournier and Hartenstein and Toppin and like quickly going out. Okay. So now Grimes coming off the bench. He's cool with that. He's cool with being demoted. Like, I don't know, man. I just think it, you're asking a lot. And I, I mean, if I'm Grimes, I'm like, wait, why am I being demoted? Like, I get we got Paul George, but, you know, I'm trying to play. I'm trying to get my money up. And now I'm playing behind Paul George. It's just a weird one to me. I, I don't, I don't really get that. And I've actually just tried not talking about this at all on Twitter because people will never understand, like, why you would think this. And then the other part of it is, like, quite frankly, as good as RJ was in the playoffs and as bad as quickly was in the playoffs, my long-term, like, feelings about what I've seen of them so far in their time in the NBA, I mean, I don't feel that different about it. I still think quickly is our best prospect. And, I mean, at some point, like, these guys aren't even necessarily prospects anymore. I just think he's our best young-ish player, I guess, maybe the best way to put it. Um, so, like, if you think... If you want to do that trade, if you prefer to do the quickly version of it, it's like you have to feel RJ isn't just better than quickly. I think you have to feel he's so much better that he warrants creating a gap in your rotation without a clear answer, and he warrants benching Grimes. I don't know. To me, that's just a totally different equation, and I, I don't really like how that plays out. Yeah, and I think, well, so like you laid out all the business reasons why it makes more sense pretty easily it's like yeah the the salary matters when you're making a trade and like it's it's exactly like what you said you don't want to be put in a position where you have to include more useful players just to satisfy the the salary requirements like that's really bad business to just be like that'd be like if you went to the store and they were like uh they were like oh this will be seven dollars or whatever but like you only had like two fives and you were just like, well, it's all I got. And there's, and, and they're like, well, sorry, we don't have any, we don't have any singles in the drawer. And you just were like, all right, well, I'll just take $10 for your $7 product. Like, you know, it's just, it's bad business. You don't want to ever do that. Um, so that's thing one, but thing two, I think the other thing as it pertains to RJ versus quickly, if the Knicks do find themselves kind of like star hunting this off season and looking to make that like next level deal, I think we've seen, to your point, like when you were saying you want more of a one-to-one swap out, that's definitely like what a Paul George or Levine or anyone else that the Knicks could hope to bring in. That would be that like wingy scoring player. That's why you want to do RJ in that deal. I feel like more so than quickly because that's the role that RJ plays, and RJ has has for better or worse been cast as the number two or number three option on this team and that's the that's the usage that he uses in this offense and like you want to hopefully be able to build upon what you did this past season and slot a new player in there that can just do what RJ was doing but better and like 
if you trade quickly and you keep RJ and now all of a sudden you have RJ out there with Paul George oh. in the starting lineup. And again, to your point, you demote Quentin Grimes. Well, now what is RJ going to be doing? He's going to be having to do Quentin playing- Grimes stuff. <laughs> yeah, but worse because yeah. he's not as good of a shooter, you know? And right. it's like, okay, well now he can get inside a little better, but like, what are you going to do? Just have him attack closeouts all day and not be able to shoot. He's going to essentially turn into Josh Hart in the playoffs out there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. There's a chance that 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 essentially becomes his role at that point. It's just a guy that can't really shoot, that can get inside and do some stuff, but like that's pretty much it. Whereas quickly, you already know, can play off of a multitude of different players. He can play a multitude of different roles in your offense. Like he maybe quickly never ends up being a 20 point per game scorer like RJ Barrett has been in his career. Maybe he never becomes that guy that you that. And look, it's not even saying I don't think he's capable of it because I think that we've seen that he can be. Uh, at certain times, even during this season and last season, every season of his career so far. So, like, it's not even to say he can't be, but even if he never becomes that high usage guy that, that you need to count on to, you know, be that second or third scoring option in your offense, you know that he's got a lot of other things that he can bring to the table. You know that he's a plus minus god. You know that, like, he can basically be like, I mean, maybe it's like, uh, no, I, I don't want to say this is blasphemous. I know it's probably just a sore comparison because, like, this guy is an asshole, but he's not in the division anymore, so I guess it doesn't matter. But (laughs) he could, in theory, be, like, your slightly better scoring Marcus Smart. You know what I mean? Like, a guy that maybe won't ever be the first, second, or third scoring option on your team, but that is going to go out there and demonstrably make your team better every time he's on the floor. And can just play in different alignments. Yeah, and so, sometimes in ways that you don't even necessarily see show up on the box score, but he just makes the team better. I don't know that we can say that about RJ, where it's like I would feel comfortable just being like, yeah, let's just completely change the entire structure of how RJ Barrett has played basketball for not just his Knicks career, but like literally RJ has played basketball the same way since he was like 12 years old. Like he has been, and that, that's not a knock on him, he's just been extremely talented his entire life. But, I mean, he has never had to, like, learn how to play basketball in more of a supporting role. And I guess that to sort of bring things a little full circle-ish, like, that's maybe where I think, like, when he hits, like, 26, 27 years old, maybe he has that Wiggins moment where things finally kind of click for him and he turns into more of a a supporting player and finally, like, unlocks that in himself and turns into more of a – I think for RJ that would mean, like, turning into more of a distributor and, like – a you know, a guy that kind of like drives and kicks and gets offense going, but doesn't necessarily finish offense as much and stuff like that. But like, maybe he finds that eventually. As of right now, I I don't know that I'd be willing to bet on that. And that's why I would feel more comfortable trading out. In addition to just the business reasons, like for purely basketball reasons, if I was looking for a trade and it's for a wing, which it should be, because that, that should be the only type of player that the Knicks are really looking at in a big like star trade at this point. Unless like Embiid pops up randomly or something, which he's not going to. Yeah, he's not going to. Oh, no, not this year at least. So like a wing is who you should be looking for, I think. And I think that RJ just makes it easier to do that, both from a basketball pit perspective and from just straight up a dollars and cents perspective. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, yeah, and, and and you know, like even the Wiggins thing. I mean, what hap- what happened to Wiggins for him to get to that point? He sort of bottomed out. He bottomed <laughs> he was out. He as an albatross. And he you got know? traded. Like, and he got traded. Yeah, he, like for, for pennies on the dollar. Yeah. Like, he like, was a throw in. He was a salary dump. They got a Straight they got up. a first round pick out of it. Like a high yeah. first. I mean, it ended up being a high first, but mm-hmm. yeah, they got a mm-hmm. unprotected basically an unprotected first out of it. But like 
yeah, it's just wild to me. Um, you know, not wild to me, but it, it's just if we're and and Wiggins was a huge outlier. You know, that has to be said too. Like his career arc is really unique and very weird. Um, in a lot of ways, in some ways, it's almost like a not that Jeff Green ever quite hit these heights, but it is a little bit like Jeff Green, where it's like Jeff Green was basically a bust, um, bounced around the league in a lot of places, and then all of a sudden, at some point, we were like, "Wait, is Jeff Green like fun to have on your team now? Like, is this cool? Like, everybody likes Jeff Green." Uh, and shout out Jeff Green, NBA champion Jeff Green. Um, but like, I don't. I think RJ will have a more productive career than Jeff Green. I'm not comparing him in that sense, but just in the sense of like these guys that are that bottom out or not, they don't hit they don't hit the level that you would hope for for a top pick. A lot of times they have to go somewhere else where the expectations aren't the same and and what you're not always holding them um, against what you hoped they would be and they get to just be judged on what they are. Like Aaron Gordon had this, right? In Orlando, he's a huge disappointment. In Denver, it's like, oh, he's such a great piece to have next to you, Nikola Jokic. This is awesome. You know, like circumstances and situations situations determine so much. So, like, again, I get to your point. It just just add up the usage. Just add up the usage of like Brunson and RJ and PG and Randall or Levine instead of PG. It makes no sense. And I made this argument even when, like when we were talking about hypothetically potentially maybe trading for Porzingis. And I'm like, it's cool. Like, that's great. I'm happy that we're going to, like, a five that can stretch the floor and all that stuff. But, like, you can't have four guys at that usage. You just can't. Like, it's not going to work. It never works. Because one guy has to sacrifice to the point that they have to return value now in areas of the game that they've never returned value on effectively. Like, this is kind of the thing. This is why Grimes helped that rotation so much because you were no longer trying to get value out of your fourth guy being a scorer it was like yeah he can score he can shoot but he's going to give you value because he's a great defender and he moves the ball quickly and he'll attack closeouts quickly and he can get out in transition and all this type of stuff that isn't about what he does with the ball in his hands you know there's a huge difference between him and evan fournier in that role or him and Cam Ruddish in that role. And effectively, if you did the you know, the, the version where quickly goes out, now all of a sudden RJ is gonna be asked to do those things, or you're benching RJ, which like clearly is never gonna happen. That makes no sense. So yeah, like I don't know. That part of it is is very, very odd. Um I have a few questions for you. I actually I want to ask you this. I've seen a lot of people talk about like, you know, oh, we saw the limitations of Mitch at the five in the playoffs. He's no offensive skill set, blah, blah, blah. And I do think there was some of that is like, oh, it's a little bit accurate for sure. Like, you know, can't really, not a great monster screen setter. Can't run offense through him in any capacity, either to just like move the ball around or whatever. Um, but one, I, I would say he was massive uh, in the Knicks winning the first round series against Cleveland. And he got hurt in the first game against Miami, which people forget. He didn't complain about it. I didn't think his series against Miami was as bad as a lot of people do. Like, I don't really understand that. Uh, and I would say that a lot of the stuff that he struggled with was like, oh, we didn't catch the ball cleanly. I'm like, okay, yeah, I agree with that. It's also hard to catch the ball cleanly sometimes if Julius is going to throw fucking like 
Bobby Wagner fucking fastballs at your head. Uh, like it's pretty hard to do. So, uh, like for, and not just like from like four feet away. And it's like, what the hell? I wasn't, I'm going up for an offensive rebound. You're throwing me a pass. Um, I'm like, I mean, again, like I'm way higher on Mitch after the season. And I'm like, I'm not really that concerned about what I saw from him in the playoffs. No, I'm not either. I mean, I, I've, I've been well on record too. Like the more I look back on the, on the Miami series, a lot of it was just they needed to make some more damn shots. Like, <laughs> it, that's pretty hard to put on Mitch. You know what I mean? Like, Mitch played his role, and, like, the whole Knicks offense was predicated on the amount of extra opportunities that he and Randall would give the team by virtue of their offensive rebounding. And it was essentially just, like, it was just volume shooting. You know what I mean? Like, like the Knicks would just beat you into submission by offensive rebounding the shit out of you. And they did that against the Cavs. You know, you had uh, Mitch doing his thing. You had uh, Josh Hart, obviously, you know, contributing huge in that department with with the offensive rebounds. Randall, when he was healthy in that series, uh, contributing huge in that department. Uh, but, like, you know, we saw less of Randall being able to get in there and really fight for rebounds and stuff in that Miami series, I think, because of the injury. Like, that's literally how he reheard himself in the Cavs series was he went in and stepped on someone's foot again. And I think that he was very obviously trying to avoid doing that again in the Miami series. And so like, if you're going to leave it up to Mitch and then be like, well, it's perfectly acceptable if we shoot 23% from three, it's up to you to make sure that all of those are cleaned up against one of your better contemporaries in the league and bam out bio plus a team that, rebounds like that scraps for rebounds at every position as well as we do like that's horseshit like if you're gonna put that on mitch uh i thought that mitch was fine in the playoffs like i i'm fine with keeping him going forward i'm kind of with you like i would have loved the idea of potentially adding porzingis um in the very idealistic way of looking at it of like yeah you always want to have more shooting at the five I will say one thing that I looked up immediately that I needed clarification on was like, has Porzingis's like rebounding percentage gotten better? Because that can't be what it used to be. If you want this version of the Knicks to be able to absorb, bring him in. Uh, Even if you have a Josh Hart and Julius Randle there to help a bit in that department. And I was pleasantly surprised when I looked at his rebounding numbers. Like I was like, okay, you know, it's kind of like Mitch where the hard numbers don't really suggest his rebounding impact at this point. Like it seemed Mm -hmm. like his, his rebound percentages and his uh, like box out percentages and junk like that had gotten way better than when he was with the Knicks. So like, yes, that sort of move maybe could have been cool if the Knicks had an opportunity where they could like somehow get like Brooke Lopez and slot him in, then that would be a perfect fit. You know what I mean? Because then you get the best of both worlds. You still get your rebounding, you still get your room protection and you get some three point shooting. I mean, but that's why Brooke Lopez is probably going to make a fuck ton of money this summer. Oh yeah. And it's, because, I'm happy for him. It's time for him to cash out. Good for him. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's his last chance to make like a big ass payday and he's going to get it because he's turned into the best version of himself at like 33 years old or however, however old he is now. Um, but that's the other thing is like how many players are like that in the NBA? There's like, I mean, if you consider Porzingis one of them and Lopez the second one, like, is that it? Like, uh, there's very few players that are going to give you sort of that best of both worlds scenario. The Knicks thought maybe they had that guy in Hartenstein last year, and then it was like, nah, he can't really shoot. So, okay, well, just take the rebounding. That's good enough. And that's proving to be, like, there's so many teams in the NBA that 
are really good that just have those guys that could just rebound the hell out of the ball in the middle. And that's becoming like a newfound like skill that's being valued in the NBA again is offensive rebounding. It's sort of come full circle again where like teams were like, uh, everything that a center does is useless. Just put everybody around the perimeter and just shoot the freaking basketball. And now all of a sudden they're realizing, wait a minute, like if we leave a guy inside that can actually rebound the ball and set up scenarios where he could be there to rebound it, suddenly you get all these extra possessions and two points is still two points from two feet away. And and maybe this is valuable again. Uh, so, I, you know, are there ways that I think the team could be better with a center that could stretch the floor? Yeah, but like I also think we're seeing that there's a ton of value in continuity. And that all these players are on the Knicks, especially, are finally starting to learn how to play together. It doesn't seem like Tibbs is going to go anywhere anytime soon. So, you know, it's probably best that you have guys that know how to do what he's going to expect out of them. And, like, as far as that's concerned, like, Mitch is the best possible version of what Tibbs expects out of that position at this point. And I, I, I came, I'm just like, you know, I came out of last season or, this, you know, this past season, whatever, like, super high on Mitch and, and where he's at right now as a player. And I love Hartenstein as his backup as well because I think that he offers many of the same things in a good way. But, like, I just – Mitch is fine by me. Like, I'm fine with riding with him going forward. It, like, Mitch in the center position is not anything that I look at as this big imminent thing of, like, I got to up, upgrade this soon if I want to be good as a team. Like, I think the Knicks can be plenty good with Mitchell Robinson as their center going forward. Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, I, I'm like, I don't think we've reached the point yet where he's even close to the biggest issue with the team. And like, you know, no. if Randall had played well, then there's, it's be a little bit easier to maybe see that and discuss it. But like, he didn't play well, and I reject the idea that he didn't play well because like Mitch was there or something. Like that just isn't what happened. Um, so yeah, like I, I'm, I'm good with Mitch. I think the Knicks need, should definitely keep him. I'm not really interested in moving off of him right now. Honestly, their entire center rotation right now. I'm like, like if they can, I would gladly, I'd love to keep Hartenstein around, like even past this season, because um, I know he's technically an expiring contract. Or not, he is an expiring contract this year. Uh, but I hope they find a way to keep him around because he's still pretty young. I mean, him and Mitch are basically the same age. It'd be great to have those guys locked in for like the next couple years beyond this. Um, and just not have to worry about that position for the time being. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Porzingis thing would have been weird. And, I, mean, it been, I think it was like, I thought it was a trade-off that would have been worthwhile because it just like opens up the floor in so many ways. Um, but also, like, I don't really love the idea of most stretch five because I think most fives don't shoot it well enough for it to matter. Like, Porzingis is just, one of those rare guys who it's actually worth it because he has that type of gravity. Um, so I'm interested in that, but like when I, I mean, we'll see what happens with the, the Celtics, but like they're, they're definitely an interesting team um, in that sense because they have obviously made a huge move here and we'll see how it pays off for them. Good, good, bad, the other, but uh, definitely curious to see it. Um, what, or your thoughts on just like with with regard to to quickly are you are you interested like do you think they're going to extend him or what do you think happens here 
I think they're going to. I think if for no other reason than what you mentioned before, that they'll see the value in giving him an extension and just say like, hey, if he just continues on the curve that he's on currently of getting better every year, like he'll he'll be well worth whatever contract we give him right at this moment and will be a valuable trade chip down the line if that's how they want to view him. But even if they view him as like, this guy's going to be a great long-term piece. If, if they can lock him up for like 20 million a season or something like that, which some people still don't understand the 20 million a season is not the number it used to be. I mean, it's less I than that Brogdon's he, making right now. Exactly. Like I understand that that's like, that was like the amount that they signed, like Amari Stoudemire to back in the day or whatever. And it's like, Oh my God, 20 million. It's like, calm the fuck down. Like that's not that much money anymore. Like the salary cap when, the next sign Amari was like $60 million. Now it's like in the next few years, it might be $160 million. Like it's the, the landscape of the NBA has gone bonkers from a, a rev share perspective and a salary cap perspective uh, in the last like six, seven years, like ever since that 2016 a huge spike that it took. And then it's just, it somehow has continued to just like, like go through the roof ever since then. I don't know where the NBA is like printing all this money from. Uh, but the, it's not going to stop the same place the federal soon. government is pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not going to stop anytime soon. Uh, so yeah, the salary cap's going to keep going up. Got a couple so, extra you know, hundred million. Really? Where did that yeah, come just, from? Eh, just, I, those, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It was just hanging around, you know, I don't know. Uh, China, I, I don't know, like the Chinese market or something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, I think if you could sign quickly to like 20 million or something like that, like that's, you know, again, he's he's either going to be a value contract or he's going to be an extremely valuable trade chip where you can look at him and say, hey, this is a big chunk of salary, but he's arguably underpaid. And being arguably underpaid is going to be not necessarily a skill, but it'll, it'll be an asset, you know, like in trade negotiations going forward with how this new cap is going to be and how the, the new CBA is going to be and all that stuff. So I, I think that they're going to resign him. I think they're going to do it this offseason. I think we're going to get it around the same time as as RJ's extension last offseason. Um, maybe even a little earlier because I don't think Hopefully. that... Like, like now that they have RJ to, to dangle as the big salary in, in trade talks, it's not like last year where they just had all these young guys that were all on their early deals uh, where you couldn't be like, well, we got the one young guy that's paid, so he, right. can, he can go out in this trade. Uh, now they have that guy. So now they might even just be able to be like, all right, quickly, we'll get you taken care of early. Uh, if nothing else, I think they'll re-sign him next year. But I seriously doubt that Brock Aller will let Leon Rose like go, be like, yo, quickly, go bet on yourself. Because then quickly he's going to be like, okay. And then next year is going to get like a well, it's, like a th- $26 million offer in restricted free agency. I think, yeah, and I think it's also just like a bad dynamic you could create where like yeah. he's not – like I know that he's been selfless and he plays for the team and blah, blah, blah. But when you put a guy in that like position where he's playing for the contract, it can be weird. It can get fucking weird. And I personally don't like having to – like. I'm okay with it. Like, if there's just not a middle ground to be had, like, for example, if RJ had insisted, like, nope, I want the max. That's it. Like, I'm going to, you got to give me the max or, or right damn near the max and that's it. Like, then I'd have been like, okay, well, you just got to play that out. You know, then just fucking play that out. Um, and it is what it is. But like, I feel like quickly is not going to hold out for a max. The fact that the Knicks can give him a fifth year, 
I feel like is an advantage. Um, you know, five one hundred, four ninety, five one hundred five, five one hundred five, something like that feels yeah. okay. I'd be comfortable with those numbers. Um, and I just think like it's just better to get that done so that when he comes to play next year, it's just like okay, I'm I'm set. Like I don't need to worry about my contract. I don't need to worry about anything really. I just got to worry about playing. Just play how I play. Uh, and I think that's important for him, especially like if the Knicks were to bring in a guy like Paul George or something like that. Mm. Like, I don't want him to worry about like, well, my, my minutes are going to get cut. Like, so when I'm out there, I got to fucking make it happen. Like, I, I just, I want to, I really want to avoid that. Um, and I like, you know, this is a reason why I kind of think the Knicks should probably move on from Obi just because, I mean, he's only going to play fucking 15 minutes a night. So, you know, if he's out there in a contract year, he's just going to be, jacking up shots like just get and i understand that i'm not even like really blame him for that like that's what i would do too if i were in his in his position so uh and then i mean quite honestly like if you're committed to julius randall then it is what it is like you don't have the space to dedicate enough time to to a guy like obi toppin and um you just need to move on and and call for what it is because like you don't have You've not been committed to him in the same way you have been to Emmanuel Quickly, and you haven't given him the runway that a guy like Quickly has earned for himself. It's just, I mean, look, to some degree, some of this is earned, right? Like Quickly has earned it. I'm not going to say, I mean, OB, I don't think has been done right by for sure, but like to me, like he hasn't been the at at the same level of impact that a guy like Quickly has, and he hasn't. He's not as versatile as a guy like Quickly is, which is part of the reason why he's just not going to play as much. Like, uh, so I, like, don't get me wrong. This is not me, like, trying to shift the blame on him and, and saying, like, oh, the org is fine and Tibbs is perfect. No, of course, they deserve blame too. But um, I think there's blame to go all around, uh, and to some degree anyway. Uh, I think OB's just been in a bad situation. It's time for him to exit. Uh, I am curious, though, last you know, topic before we get out of here. Uh the Knicks, obviously, as we talked about earlier, they've been linked heavily to Dante DiVincenzo. Uh, like, what what do you feel about that? Because I've seen a lot of, like, he's small, and we already have enough guards, and we have enough this. And, like, I do get that. But my thinking, and I'm just wondering, this is, like, what I wonder, you know, think to myself. I'm like, if the Knicks did get Paul George and the exact kind of player package we talked about, even if they don't get Paul George, they run it back. Like, Is getting Dante DiVincenzo and trading out Obi and like forcing Tibbs in a situation where he has to play small in those backup, in those minutes when Randall's not playing, is that awful? Like, I don't, I don't hate that. And like, I understand the idea that, well, if you want to do that, you would ideally sign another wing and not like a guard. And I do get that. Well, I mean, the two things I would say is DiVincenzo rebounds really well. Like he plays bigger than his size, which seems to be a thing. They're comfortable. Like they seem comfortable rolling with undersized lineups it with guys that play bigger and play up spots. They like they've done that with Hart, they've done that with Grimes, they've done that quickly. They've kind of done that with Deuce also. So that seems to be a thing that they're okay with. Um and then the other thing I would say is just like show me the wing on the market that you could get for the mid level exception and I'm down. But if that guy doesn't exist then like 
should you just use that resource on the best possible option you can get? And if that is, I'm not saying it is DiVincenzo, but let's say it is, like, shouldn't you just fucking do it and worry about it later? Because I feel like when you start avoiding moves altogether, like, just because you're worried about Tibbs's ability to manage it, that's just not good. And, like, there's a difference between, okay, let's, like, DiVincenzo strikes me as a player that Tibbs would like. This is not like getting Cam Reddish and being like, okay, turn Cam Reddish into an NBA player and, like, deal with his fucking mercurial attitude and the fact that he doesn't rebound and doesn't do anything that you actually want a 6'8 wing to do effectively. Like, this is a do- totally different thing. This is a type of player Tibbs likes. So if there's even a danger, it's probably that he plays him too much. But, like, I don't think you should avoid that move because of your your worried your coach might not be able to manage it. Like, if you independently think it's clogging the rotation, then don't do it. But, like, if you just want the good player and you don't think that should be that much of an issue, I think you should do it. Yeah, I think so, too. And, I mean, first, so the, to the first point of potentially forcing Tibbs to go small, I also, and I don't mean this to, like, shit on Obi because I think that Obi's a better player than the role that he's currently cast in. And, like, I guess if if I were to quickly button up the, the Obi thing that you said a second ago, like, I was actually sort of surprised they didn't move him on draft night. And that sort of more so than anything maybe makes me think that they they feel confident that they're going to make some sort of deal in these next couple weeks. Because otherwise, I don't know why they wouldn't have, like, moved Obi for a draft pick to replace his small salary slot with another, like, rookie player going into this year. But all that aside, like, for the role that they have him cast in right now, which is effectively just like, okay, go out there, back up Julius Randle for 13 minutes and shoot some threes. You could just hit the free agent market, and you don't even need the mid-level exception to replace that. Mm-hmm. Like, go get freaking Jermichael Green, you know, whatever. Like, you see a dude that's going to soak up a few minutes, shoot a couple threes, and, like, rebound the ball a little bit. Those guys are, like – and, I mean, again, this is not to say that – Look I think at George Niang. He's a free agent right yeah. now. Yeah, and, like, that. that's not to say that I think that that's all that Obi can do because I think Obi's a better player than that and probably will end up starting somewhere, some rebuilding team or something, and show that he could do quite a bit more. But, like – I like you get those guys are a dime a dozen, like just for that particular role, like just go spend the minimum on any one of like 50 dudes and you should be okay. But like DiVincenzo is the thing that is a premium right now in the NBA, which is just shooting, you know, like you need guys that can shoot and you need to be able to rotate certain guys in. Like we even saw this play out in the playoffs this year with different teams. Like fucking Lonnie Walker was a, a hero of a playoff series because he, just got in there and shot and made some shots like, and did it after not playing a ton of minutes all year and everything else. Like, and DiVincenzo is like that sort of player. Like he's like a guy that, you know, can shoot a guy that, you know, is never going to lack for confidence to shoot. And that you also don't have to make the type of commitment to where if he's sucking ass, you can't just be like, get the fuck out of the game and sit on the bench mm-hmm. the rest of the game. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's that sort of player. And so, of course, I think the Knicks should get that player because they needed that. They needed that in this playoffs. Like, they were, they just hit a certain wall at certain points, especially in that Miami series where they just couldn't hit a fucking shot. And you were just like, man, like, you can keep throwing Grimes out there, but he can't make the shots right now. Yes, he's creating the gravity, but he's not making anything. Josh Hart can't hit anything. R.J. Barrett can't hit anything. Like, Jalen Brunson is the only guy out here hitting threes right now out of the backcourt. And, like, they desperately – 
needed someone that was not Evan Fournier, who's literally like a traffic cone on defense. They needed someone that they could throw out there that would be passable enough on defense and be able to shoot a couple threes on offense and potentially, you know, save a game or two for them just by coming out there for five minutes and hitting a couple threes. So I think if I think if you can get to Vincenzo, like he's not, yeah, he's not gonna be a superstar or something, and nobody that you sign for the mid-level exception to your point is gonna be a superstar. Just like go get him. Go get him if if he's available because if he's available and he wants your team because of those connections, like this is one thing the Knicks are starting to do really well. Like they're they're smart about these these college teammates and agency connections and everything that they're starting to tap into because it's like DiVincenzo's a good player that'll probably have a few teams that'll be willing to throw him that same amount of money. If he decides to come to your team and you have that money to spend and you don't have anything better to spend it on, hell yeah, spend it on him. Like just take talent. Talent wins in the NBA. That's it. Period. It's like it's like the argument of like best player available in the draft and stuff. And these teams like overthink it, you know, and it's like, oh, well, there's this there's this really good shooting guard on the board here. But, you know, we already have two shooting guards. So, like, why would we draft another shooting guard? Like, let's get this, the small forward that everybody says is worse. But, like, we need a small forward. We don't have one of those <laughs> yet, you know. It's like, no, don't overthink it. Like, just if there's a talented player that wants to sign up your team, you fucking sign him. And that's what I think they should do with DiVincenzo. Like, there's a very real chance that he might not play huge minutes throughout the year. Like the Knicks already are presumably, you know, barring a trade going to be bringing back probably their whole famous nine man rotation, you know, going into next year. And so you might sign a DiVincenzo and he might get like just a few minutes sparingly here or there, but a guy that can shoot like that, that never lacks for confidence. Like that might be the guy that saves your season later in the season or that steps in, in the middle of the year when you have injuries and keeps you afloat. It's like, you got to have those sort of guys on your team and you got to, you can't overthink it and like not sign a guy like that just because you're like, Oh, well maybe it won't work because of X, Y, Z. It's like the lowest, lowest possible commitment to just spend like a mid-level exception on a guy. Um, So yeah, I don't, I don't have any reservations about it. And again, I think it mostly just comes down to like, who the hell else are you going to sign for that money? And if you're not going to, it's like spend it or lose it. So just spend it on a talented player and, and ask questions later. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I've always liked Divincenzo. I've, I have too. Yeah, that's worth. Yeah, I freaking love him. Yeah, I've liked him for a while, uh, even though he killed Michigan in the championship game. Um, but I just think he's a good player. I like the idea of him running with quick off the bench. I think they would fit well together. Uh, I think his defense, like, look, I know the Knicks really picked up the defensively in the playoffs. Um, but they were the ninth, they were 19th in defensive rating last year. Like, I think he gives them another quality defender, especially on the perimeter. That's a good thing. Um, and you know, the shooting has been a little up and down for him. He's not a great finisher at the rim, but I just think he makes plays. He just plays hard, gets a ton of rebounds. Like his defensive rebound percentage for his career is 14.9. I mean, that's a me. That's great for a guard. It's it's spectacular, and he's one of these guards who can guard up and down, up and down a spot in the in the rotation. So like, there's value there. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just think again, just a good player. Go for it, and you know, I think he's an interesting guy because he so he hurts a ligament in his ankle at the end of the 2020-2021 season, so that, which cost him the entire uh, championship run that the uh, the Bucks made. 
He plays 17 games. He misses half the season the following year. Comes back seven. He comes back after 40 games. He plays 17 for Milwaukee. Gets traded to Sacramento because Milwaukee doesn't want to pay him. Sacramento plays him 25, and then he has a whole weird thing there where there was some disagreement with management or whatever. He didn't play that well there. He's clearly still smarting from his uh, ankle ligament tear. But he comes back last year, you know, and I understand it's Golden State. He's playing with Steph Curry, all these fucking things. But he has he shoots forty three and a half from the field, thirty nine point seven from three. He has a fifty nine point three true shooting. Like he's only twenty six. Get him on a on a mid level here. You probably if you give him the full, he's locked in from twenty seven to thirty. Like that's or twenty six to twenty nine. I don't think he turns twenty seven until midway through next year. But like, I don't know. I think that's just like it. That that to me strikes me as the type of guy who, or the type of player contract, or however you want to put it, that can end up looking like a solid, solid value uh, down the line. And um, you know, he's tight with Brunson. I think they were roommates in college. He's talked about it before publicly. Um, like, look, the more guys that we get in here that are just like cool with one another, I think that tends to work out pretty well. Because if there is conflict, they usually can figure it out internally. Um, we'll see. I don't like, and yeah, like also he's on a CAA client, so apparently we can be okay with that because you know apparently, uh, you know, Rich Paul clutch. You know, we we broke that relationship by benching Cam Reddish, rightfully so. Uh, so now we never can end up. Uh, you know, Rich Paul doesn't want us to trade for any of his clients. Little does he know that is not how the uh, trade market works. Um, but yeah, like I, I think, I think DiVincenzo, you get him on the mid level and if it doesn't work, it's not so bad a salary or a contract that you probably can't move it. If it does work, you've probably got yourself a value contract. So yeah, I, I go with that. And I would like to believe that given the injury that there's a chance, um, that last year was good, but there's potentially more from him to come. Yeah. And, you know, I just looked it up out of curiosity. I went on, I went on cleaning the glass and just looked up his differentials. Other than that little stretch with Milwaukee that you referenced, where, you know, it's such a small sample size, it's tough oh. to really, tough to really glean too much. The guy's never not been a positive in his time in the NBA. Oh. You know, he's always made his team, including Golden State this year, at least a point and a half better per 100 possessions with him on the floor, sometimes as much as like five. Points per 100, like he did with Milwaukee uh, a little earlier in his career. And surprisingly, a lot of those, a lot of that comes from the defensive side. Like uh-huh. he actually has been like 73rd percentile, 68th percentile, 70th percentile, uh, 75th percentile in that little bit with the Kings, and then 66th, 66th percentile in points per possession that he makes his team better, or rather makes the other team worse when he's on the floor. Uh, on defense. So, I mean, I think he fits the identity of this team pretty well. You know, he's a guy that defends clearly, you know, he's, he's clearly not the most physically imposing guy. He's not to your point, like Paul George, he's not Paul George out there with Mm. all the physical tools in the world and the defensive acumen, but he clearly is a engaged defender. seems like a good team defender. seems like a perfect guy to me to come off the bench with quickly, like you said, and just, I mean, if you can have quickly DiVincenzo Hart coming off the bench, I mean, who the fuck is scoring on them? Like out of the backcourt off of a bench unit. I mean, that's basically a starting unit off the bench. Like I'm sure there are plenty of teams that would kill to have that trio starting. Uh, 
you know, and, and being their starting backcourt and, you know, first forward spot. So I'm totally with it. I mean, again, if Tibbs decides to stick to the nine man thing, I think the I think the only reason that the nine man thing had to happen this year was just because they didn't have enough talent to make it work with ten guys. You know, I think there was always kind of a weak link. If you insert a DiVincenzo in there, then maybe that gives you the opportunity to run a ten man rotation and have it work. As long as Tibbs isn't so locked into the hockey shift idea, which I think was also part of what always doomed the ten man rotation with him, is that he thinks that all five guys have to come out within thirty seconds of each other, or else he's going to get disqualified. <laughs> um, so, like. If he can leave that at the door and and play a DiVincenzo like that, like I think that that's, I I think he's he would be a perfect fit with this team. I mean, he's just he's good. He's just a good basketball player, and that's all you need. You need to just bring talented basketball players to your team and have depth to absorb those inevitable postseason losses, so you're not kind of left there just shrugging and having to play Quentin Grimes, you know, all 48 minutes because that's the only option that you possibly have. Um, and, and also just stuff game. like, and even like stuff in trades we're talking about, like yeah. so that if you do consolidate, you still have a decent amount of depth, like bring in pieces like this are good. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'm with you. Um, all right. I think that's a good place to end it. Alex, thank you so much for coming on. Let people know they can find you and uh, plug anything you'd like to plug. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, you can follow me on Twitter <laughs> if you want to, just for the, just to say that you do. Um, it's uh, the Alex Wolf. I never tweet anymore, but whatever. Um, Check out Locked On Knicks if you haven't already. Like I said, uh, we were talking about Levine earlier in the show. So if you got through two hours of Pod Strickland, you're like, you know, I could go for another 40 minutes of podcast in my life. Check out that crossover I did with Locked On Bulls, guys. That was pretty cool today uh, for some more Levine talk. Um, we're also doing a lot of, like, crossover stuff with people from other markets on Locked On right now. So we feel pretty good about it. So either myself or Gavin or both of us are talking to various people and getting opinions on some of these some of these other teams and their players and stuff. So check that out. Of course, if, I, I don't know. I always assume if you're two hours into a Strickland podcast, you're pretty familiar with the Strickland regardless. So, but if you, if this is somehow your first, you know, interaction with the site, check out the strict land, read the written work, uh, go back and read Prez's draft work. He worked really hard on it, even though the Knicks didn't do anything to make it worth it. Um, you know, read some of the stuff we've got coming out on free agency now. I think if you're listening to this right now, too, we've got a piece from uh, Matthew Miranda and Colin Loring kind of debating the merits of a potential Zach Levine trade and other trades of that ilk. So, you know, again, more Zach Levine talk to to tune into there. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it, you know. And go sign up for the Patreon for the Strickland because you should support the people that you like <laughs> because a few dollars a month to someone that you like is better than a few dollars a month to, like, Disney or Amazon or something like that. At least, you know, it's going to a good source uh, and not lining the pockets of Jeff Bezos or something. So uh, go do that. That's, that's it. <laughs> All right. There you go. I have nothing to plug that Alex didn't already plug. So I will echo his sentiments. Um, aside from that, all I need to say is this show has been sponsored by bet online. Thank you so much, Bet Online. You guys are the best. All right, that is our show for today. I hope everybody has a great week. Oh, actually, you know what? I'll plug these things. We have a me and Sam will be doing a live stream on Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. So come check us out there. We're going to be answering questions. Uh, and then on Friday evening, uh, starting at 5.45 p.m., we will be doing a free agent 
free agency live stream. So hopefully we'll, we'll get a DiVincenzo signing. Maybe we'll get a Paul George trade. Who knows what could happen on that day, but we'll be on for quite a while. Uh, I have some guests lined up. One of them may be sitting right here on this podcast with me, uh, but there are some others, which we will let you know about as we go on. Okay. That is our pod for today though. Hope everybody has a great rest of the week and I'll see you on a Friday. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.